to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Starting at verse 22, and just so you know, we're going to kind of be tackling a, a few stories from uh, Exodus that are deep, deeply connected. So we're going to f- go all the way through chapter 16. Hear from God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore they named it Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palms of trees and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as what they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord. For he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. 
Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the, and in the morning dew lay around the, the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? They did not know what it was. Obviously, right? You know? and, the, and Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall eat, each take an omer according to the number of persons that you have that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to him, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them morning by morning they gathered it each as much as he could eat but when the sun grew hot it melted on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread two omers each and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses he said to them this is what the Lord has commanded tomorrow is a day of solemn rest a holy sabbath to the Lord Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all of it that is left over aside, lay aside to be kept till the morning. And so they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. For six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made of honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout the generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, and so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of Ephah. This is the word of the Lord. So as we kind of walk through this whole piece 
I, I identified for you that this book lays a foundation for many concepts, many ideas that uh, will take on fuller meaning as we enter into the New Testament, or there's many ideas that would be familiar to most people in our contemporary culture. For example, a few notable things are the sacrificial lamb. You, we find out about the atonement. We find out about the I am. We find out, out about Exodus or the wilderness. We find out about the crossing of the Red Sea. Many things that people are very aware of. Each of these has their roots in Exodus. So let me give you another one, and it's going to be kind of a see how you do with fill in the blanks, because I was a teacher at one point. It's from the Lord's Prayer. It goes like this. Give us this day our... Very good. Very good. You've probably prayed that part of the Lord's Prayer many times, or at least you're, you're quite familiar with that, that phrase. Give us today our daily bread. And then you go on and just kind of rattle off the rest of the prayer. But do you know that that part of the Lord's Prayer has its roots in the Exodus narrative. And do you really know what that means? Give us this day our daily bread. Do you know what that really means? You know, it was kind of assumed in the Old Testament time, but it was prayed. Jesus taught his people how to pray that way in New Testament times. Do we understand what that really means? The concept of of God giving his people daily bread is a beautiful thing. What we discover that after establishing that God's people belong to him in Exodus 13, after leading them through the Red Sea and destroying Pharaoh's army in Exodus 14, and after celebrating this warrior kind of God through the song of Moses, the people now face another challenge. And this challenge is one that I am sure 100% of us have been faced multiple times with in our lifetime. And here's the challenge. And I'm going to phrase it in a question. Can you trust God not just in the big things, but also every single day? Can you really trust God, not only in the big things, but in the every single moment of the day? Or let me state it more differently, more where the focus is off of ourselves. Is God worthy to be trusted beyond the crisis moments? Is He worthy to be trusted beyond the crisis moments? Is God powerful and personal? This is the issue that Israel will face, and God will use the most basic human need to teach them this lesson. God will use thirst and hunger to show them this all-important truth that God can be trusted every single day. The God who delivers is also the God who provides every single day. And there's significant implications for how these people of God approach their daily lives, how they approach their fears, and how they approach their work. So we're going to take these two stories of God's provision while keeping in mind that these stories are loaded, absolutely loaded with important lessons about God and His relationship with His people. The first problem. Exodus 15 introduces us to a repeated struggle 
for the Israelites. And I am going to say it is a repeated struggle for you. In Exodus 15.24, we have the first use of the word grumble in the books, book of Exodus. And it will appear more in the next two chapters than in the rest of the book. In fact, it will show up eight times in chapter 16. If you count it, eight times the word grumble. This is repeated, this repeated use is not an accident. The people will deeply wrestle with this common human weakness. The, the issue of grumbling surfaced only three days, three days after God miraculously saved them through the Red Sea crossing, destroyed Pharaoh's army. Three days, and these people are, are already grumbling. Verses 24, or 22 and 23 kind of set the context for us. Moses set out, made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They came three days into the wilderness and found no water. They went to Marah. They, they could not drink the Marah, water in Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, they called it Marah. You know, kind of Captain Obvious there, but it's kind of driving this point here. This is bad water. The first few days into the wilderness proved to be extremely challenging for them. Their most basic human need is water. And they could not find any. And you can imagine how difficult this must have been and how frightening it had been. They had just left. They had just left what they thought was terrible, but yet somehow secure. And now they were out on their own. And there was no water. They were out in the desert, out in the wilderness, on their own. They were completely in unknown, uncharted territory. And finding water, obviously, was not easy. And Moses, being a shepherd, I'm sure was trying his best to lead them to water like a good shepherd does, right? I'm going to help these people, like, I want them to be healthy. I want them to have their thirst quenched. So you can imagine the scene of these people seeing water in the distance. Did they show any kind of restraint? Oh no! I, I am sure that the scene was water and all two million people <laughs> plowing over the grandmas, plowing over the kids, rushing through to get the water. And I guess there was probably a lot of cheering and a lot of tears of excitement and joy. But when they began to drink the water, what happened? They were disgusted. Verse 23 says they could not even drink the water because it was bitter. It was brackish. Maybe it was the salt or the minerals or something that was in the water that just made it awful for them to drink. So their hearts were filled with joy and immediately what did they do? They spit it out. It's not hard to picture the scene as their, their joy turns to frustration and their frustration turns to fear. And then they turn on Moses. Verse 24 says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What shall we drink? Now there's a few things that you need to know about this word grumble. When the word is used in the book of Exodus and Numbers, it is always connected to the word against. They grumbled against. So the act of grumbling is directed towards somebody. It is an 
in, external expression of an internal rebellion. An external expression of an internal rebellion. The word is closely connected to the actions of a rebel. You can think of grumbling as a verbal rebellion. It expresses verbally what might not be fully embraced physically. But it is a form of rebellion. Grumbling typically surfaces uh, due to hard circumstances that are given way too much power, way too much control, and way too much fear in one's life. That's when grumbling happens. When you give it way too much power and control and fear, that is when grumbling starts to happen. It, it is a sinful response to hardship. Grumbling ultimately is an issue between human beings and God. That's what grumbling is. Even if the water issue was directed towards Moses, who was their human leader, ultimately the grumbling was directed toward God. If you look clearly ahead to the issue of bread in chapter 16, you can see this clearly, verses 7 and 8. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are you? Or what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So although Moses was the focal point of the people's frustration, the real pro their real problem was not with Moses. Their real issue was with God. God the provider. And the issue here is the fact that people refused to see their situation through the lens of a God who had just recently provided deliverance and salvation. And he has proved his ability to rescue them over and over again. And how quickly their faith and our faith wanes, right? The hymn writer was right. Man, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. We, we all have this, this, this desire, the human movement away from God, our faith wanes, and grumbling gives into the fear that God isn't really interested in our daily needs, or that He only takes care of the big things in our life. Grumbling is a lack of faith. It is a subtle and internal form of rebel rebellion. So the issue of bitter water was solved by God. How? By simply providing a log. Could you imagine the children of Israel grumbling and complaining and Moses just says, alright, here's a log. Alley-oop, splash, and suddenly the water is sweet. The Lord wanted to lay down a very important lesson for them. And He says this in verse 15, verse 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes and give ear to the commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of your diseases, none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. The promise here is connected 
Not to a health and wealth kind of thing, but it's connected to the grumbling. The promise was not that they would never get sick or that they would never have difficulties because we know that's just an absolute farce. It was a promise that God would not treat his people like the Egyptians. It was a promise that God was not against his people like he was against the Egyptians. A promise here was and still is today that God's heart can be trusted even when things are difficult and challenging. God's heart for you this morning if you are in Christ is that you can trust him completely and fully because he loves you. And that is why the text ends in verse 27. It looks kind of random if you look at it. But in verse 27, they have this beautiful, triumphant entry to a place called Elam, which boasted of 12 springs, like fresh water. I am envisioning just cool springs and 70 palms for them to rest. God brought his people through their first wilderness failure and that raises another issue second one something that emerges from this text is the simple fact that the people of Israel were not on a blind mission they weren't just kind of wandering around in the wilderness according to Exodus chapter 40 it says this Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out till the day that it was taken up. So every time the cloud moved, what did they do? They were like lemmings, right? They just followed after wherever God led them. And so God led them right to Mara. They weren't on their own. God orchestrated this whole thing. God led them to this place. God had a plan for them there at Mara. And he intends for them to learn some important lessons about what it really means to trust God. What it means to trust him. God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, but he will lead them to Mount Sinai to receive his law. But there are some other things that for their own good they must also learn before they even get to Sinai. Therefore, God tests them. The issue of God's testing moves from a one-time event, as in the case of the bitter water, I'm going to trust God for providing water in this one-time event, to a daily test. And this test is directly connected to something called manna. Chapter 16 records the next moment of grumbling and testing. Now the issue is not water, it is food. Once again, the, the people of Israel fall prey to the problem of grumbling as their needs in the wilderness surface. Another instance of internal rebellion. Again, after turning on Moses and Aaron, the people say this absolute outrageous and almost blasphemous thing. Listen to it. Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly by hunger. Can you hear the drama queens? 
They were in slavery and they were sitting around meat pots. Really? And they ate bread to the full? No. Even in, in grumbling, you lose your perception of what really is going on. It kind of has this snowball effect and you keep adding and your emotions get drawn into it. So the next few verses help us understand God's aim in all of this. God has a purpose beyond what Israel was seeing. And it was clear that God wanted to teach His people an important, very important lesson. And verses 4 and 5 give us this summary. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to, I love this picture, rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, they will prepare what they bring in, and it will be twice as what they gather daily. Everything about the provision of reigning bread was designed to help the people to trust in God. When we look at, and we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit more later, but what I want to do for you this morning, and Todd and I kind of talked about this on Friday, what I want you to I want to do for you is to add a new category to your soul. And I'm not exactly sure how comfortable some of you are going to be with this category, but go with it. The category is of divine testing. Now, when some of you hear the word test, you break out into hives. Your anxiety level kind of shoots through the roof because immediately you're going, I don't know the answer. I, I'm under pressure. I, I, I don't know how to perform. I can't, is this a multiple choice? Maybe I'll just always circle, fill in the little C on the, the little Scantron, and maybe that will, I'll get lucky, at least get 50% maybe. And we're scared of it because we're, we're scared of the idea of testing, and I don't know how to perform. Or maybe another problem is that too often this word testing is connected to the idea of temptation. But the idea is not to of a test is not to push a person to failure. That's not God's goal in testing. Rather, the idea is for us to experience, to take the experiences of life and to prove or validate God's worthiness to be trusted. I am going to give you experiences in life where it is going to prove and validate that I am trustworthy. You can do this. Try me. Test me. See if I will be faithful. So the concept of test, of a test which is given in order to validate what you already believe or what you say believe is to be true. You're taking these things and it's in order to validate God's faithfulness and truthfulness. What I say, it's coming true. I can see it. And God's purpose in the testing is to help the Israelites and not trick them. His aim in this test is hopeful, not harmful. The Apostle Paul picked up this, this very idea in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 when he talks about the stories of the Old Testament and how the New Testament readers should use them. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 6-11. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did 
Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it's written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some did. Why? Because they were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So their testing, and even your testing today, was for their benefit and for our benefit. We are to read about their testing and we are to learn from it. When they, and then the Apostle Paul makes it personal and he gives us a promise. Listen to it uh, in verses 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone thinks, who thinks that he, stand, that he stands takes heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The word temptation in the Greek can mean trial or test. I want to point out some great promises about these trials and tests. And there, there's just amazing, vivid promises that you can take from this section. First, you are not alone. You are not alone. It says that there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. You think you have a struggle with this? You're not alone. You think you have a struggle with this? You have a struggle with your marriage? You have a struggle with finances? You have a struggle with pornography? You have a struggle with trust? You have a struggle with lust? You have a struggle with this? You know what? You are not alone. None of these things are uncommon to your brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, you are not the only person to struggle with these things. Which I'm going to tell you, listen to me, this is why it is critical that you need to be a part of a body of Christ. Be connected. Latch arms and say, I am with it. We are making a promise together. You and me. Together. We're in this, right? Because I do not want to be alone. I cannot afford to be alone. Second thing is that we can see is that God is faithful. God is faithful. No matter what happens in life, God is always faithful. So you can bank your life on that. And in those moments when you need to be reminded of that promise, you need to hear it again. God is faithful. He is faithful. Third, third promise is that the trial or the temptation will not crush you. Some of you really need to hear that. That this thing that is going on in your life that is ultimately used to teach you to trust more in God is not going to crush you. God will not give you more than you can bear. It's right here. So even though it feels like this is killing me, it isn't. Even though it feels like this is going to crush me under the weight of it, it's not. 
Even though you might feel like this is going to be the absolute end of me mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's not. These temptations and trials are not going to crush you. And lastly, fourth promise, He will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure or bear it. The way of escape is not running away from it. It isn't having wings like a dove that just kind of flutters away, away from all the problems of life. The way of escape is finding the grace in the midst of the difficulties that God helps you endure. There is no escape. It is trusting more fully in Him that the One who has saved me is going to provide for me and help me endure and go through. The reason that we have these moments, uh, these testing moments in the Old Testament is to help us know how to live in the New Testament. And there are things that God wants you to learn and there are things that God wants you to learn today. You see, these things that God wants Israel to learn the only way that they could really learn was through practice to actually go through. It's not, I don't learn best, and I'm sure you don't either, learn best from just book knowledge. You learn best through actually walking through something, right? Experiencing it. Charles Spurgeon called the, the wilderness experience a university for Israel. Listen to this. This is his quote. The wilderness was the Oxford and Cambridge for God's students. They went to the university and he taught them and trained them and they took their degree before they entered into the promised land. This is... <laughs> the reason that you're going through this is so, so that one day when you enter into the promised land... This, this process of sanctification is being made, is making me more and more and more holy. They needed to learn how to really trust in the Lord. They needed to test what they really believed and thought they knew about God. It needed to be put to the test. So I don't know what kind of things that you are going through this morning. There are 101 different kinds of things going on in your lives. But for every person, there's a different kind of trial. There's a different kind of test going on in your life. But can I remind you, that no matter what kind of test, no matter what kind of trial you have, you are not alone. God is faithful. He will not crush you. And He will give you the grace to bear it. You need to be able to rest in that. Third, and I am going to be late this morning and I apologize right now. The daily test of manna. Exodus 13 provides the provision of, this miraculous provision of food for the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness. But upon closer examination, it's evident that there's more to this provision than just meeting people's physical needs. Manna from heaven will become an important lesson for God's people about learning how to trust God 
every single day of their life. It wasn't just about having food on the table. It was about, it was an object lesson to say, will you grow in your trust in me? First, the context for this lesson was a need, a real physical need. They had this complaining spirit, this grumbling, complaining spirit. And as we get a fuller sense of what's really going on in their heart, they were really hungry and they were really scared and they started to really rebel. And you can hear just how loaded and how nasty things were really going in their life. So the immediate need and the resulting fear cause the people to start going down this path. And that's true for you too. It's often the most simple little things. Do we trust God in this need? But then it goes on that God used that very situation, that need, to teach a greater lesson about God's provision. God's response was to announce to Moses that he was going to use the situation to test the Israelites. And the wording of what God said was important. He said, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, they will prepare what they bring in. It will be twice as much as what they gather daily. Did you hear how day and daily were highlighted in what God said? Did you notice the connection between the gathering of a day's portion and testing whether or not they were walking according to his law? These issues are linked. In other words, manna is not just for food. It's for learning how to trust God. And God will use their hunger for food to show them how to be satisfied in God. Do you see where this is going? That's not just about food in your life. Third, the provision of food was connected to the glory of God. It should be noted that as Moses and Aaron note, announced that God heard their grumbling and that he was going to provide, the glory of God was manifested in a cloud. And it seemed clear that God wanted to make a very clear link between himself, his glory, and what the, Israels would see in the Israelites would see in the morning. Listen, in other words, the daily provision of food was just as connected to the glory of God as the destruction of Egypt in the Red Sea. Just as connected. And God is not interested in just delivering His people from slavery. He intends to care for His people's Daily needs. Daily needs. Fourth, the, the provision was sufficient for each day. There's clear instructions about how food should be given, right? And how it should be eaten. They were told that there were to be no leftovers. Can I hear an amen there? There were to be no leftovers because what's going to happen to them? It's going to stink. Amen. There's going to be worms in it. <laughs> Keep preaching. You know. In fact, this violated, this, those who violated the instruction discovered that leftovers did lead to God's displeasure. Morning by morning, you know, they would they gather, you gather as much as you eat. But if you try to gather too much, kind of do this hoarding kind of thing, 
what happened to it? It, it rotted. And it, worms got in it, and it stank in your tent. That's kind of a signal of, listen, trust me. I said I would provide for you. Quit your hoarding. Manna is not just about food. Ma- the manner in which it was provided and what happened to it over time forced Israel into an important pattern of going to bed each night, each night believing that there would be manna on the ground again in the morning. It's going to be there. It was literally their daily bread. It was sufficient. There was always enough. But they had to trust God each day to meet their needs. And in that provision, the people were learning some important lessons about God. And I want, this, is, this is the hard one for me. 16.23 is the first use of the word of Sabbath in the Old Testament. And it is directly tied to the manna provision lesson. And it's remarkable. Six days a week, there was manna every day. And if an Israelite gathered enough, it rotted. But on the sixth day, you gather twice as much. And it was preserved. Six days a week, they had to believe God would provide. And one day a week, they would gather more, believing God would be again true to His Word. He would provide. Therefore, Israel had to live by faith. They had to believe that God would provide for their needs. Two, that obeying God's instruction was necessary for living. And three, intentional rest was not a waste. That's the hardest for me. Intentional rest is not a waste. Every week, Israel, through the provision and the collection of manna, was learning their dependency on God. And that's why Sabbath is critical. A Sabbath, a day of rest, is critical because it it teaches that God will provide for me. I I don't need to work today. Why? Because you know what? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh you shall rest because it teaches me something about trusting and resting in the one who provides for me. We'll look more into that Sabbath concept when we get to the Ten Commandments, and we're going to dive into it, and it's going to make you uncomfortable, and it's going to make me uncomfortable. But it's critical. It's critical. God is able to meet your needs. He's able to meet my needs. Or to put it another way, man does not live on bread alone. The testing, the hunger, the manna, and the Sabbath were all designed to demonstrate more than anything, that people need God. So, so what? What does, what does this have to say? What, what, how do we take this? What, what does God want to teach us about himself as we read these things? Well, first of all, the ultimate need for the human heart is to know God. That is the number one thing that we can walk away. Manna or money feeling pressing and urgent. But honestly, neither money nor food can really satisfy. They feel pressing and they feel urgent. They will not satisfy. Our provisions are meant to point us Godward. It's no wonder that Jesus called himself the bread of life. 
that He came down from heaven to give us life. To give life to this world. And it's, it's only through Jesus that we can experience the real satisfaction of our, of our hunger and our thirst. It's only through Jesus. That is the, our real need. Secondly, God is still the provider of everything. Whether it is manna, money, or grace. God is still the provider of those things. When the Apostle Paul talks about the joy of generosity and the risk connected to giving, he said this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Thirdly, Sabbath and generosity are vital expressions Hear this. Are vital expressions of a person's faith in God. The challenge for Israel is our challenge too. Do you believe that God will provide for you? Not a rhetorical question, but uh, do you think that God will provide for you? Do you believe that He will care for you? Do you believe that God who delivers is the God who will provide? And if so, if that is true, then intentional, worshipful rest with intentional giving are the way that we affirm that truth. By resting and giving, we, we, we are able to say, God, I know that working all the time and hoarding my money will never give me the security to come to know you. Therefore, I choose to rest and I choose to give. So manna was the starting point of the lesson that human beings should never make the daily pursuit of needs the single passion of their life. It's true for you too.